thank you, George, for taking the time to be on my show. How are you coping in terms of the lockdown? I didn't take it very well in the beginning. I was very angry and it took me a few days to, to kind of get around it and, and see it as an opportunity and to sort of, you know, get to the point that I'm at now. That I'm positive. I think we all have different different ways of doing, going through it. And even now, I'm still, you know, I'm still struggling to come to terms with certain elements of it, um, you know, because I, obviously we're all affected differently. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, we're affected the same way. Um, so it, it's you know it's it's different, but uh, been, it's been interesting. Of course, you know, try to keep your, uh, your your you know your humor and your spirits, and and you try not to get too dragged into some of the negative stuff that you can find on, on social media and, and on the internet. You know, made a had a few sort of little uh, little foodie experiments, uh, doing one or two things in the kitchen. Um, you know, one or two nice meals. Maybe we just find that we we're not eating, we're sleeping. Um, yeah. Which is, uh, <laughs> quite tricky you know so you have to kind of like try and balance the thing out of it so little structures in place and things like that but i think we you know we're doing okay um i do sense that life is going to be very different for a, for a very long time you know these these people that are talking about it like a you know almost like a virtual reset which kind of excites me but also kind of scares me i'm just not sure you know how clever we need to be or we should be thinking about something like that you know we need to bear in mind that uh, not everybody shares the, uh, the enthusiasm that everybody else shares we need to do these things carefully and i'm kind of mostly positive about the way that, uh, that our government is handling uh, the situation um, obviously you know there's no there's no benchmark i mean what do you compare it to yeah well exactly uh, exactly so obviously this has had a fairly large impact on um on your business in terms of how you guys are coping with the business aspect of it i would imagine that you are in the position that you will be able to reopen again after this lockdown yeah look obviously you know i i work for dave dave is a is, a, is an amazing businessman an amazing guy so you know i i obviously can't 100 percent kind of comment on that but i know that he would do whatever it takes and he would you know fully and as far as i can kind of ascertain we are obviously trying to plan with limited sort of i mean obviously now as we approach now you know, based on what was said last night um, by the president uh, you know we can obviously now start to sort of more or less kind of plan when we're likely to to come out of this but obviously that also is not finite i mean even the president doesn't know when that's going to be right now. So I know the intention, Dave's intention is obviously um, he would like to reopen uh, the store. And, and that's basically the premise that I'm working on. And that's kind of like what I'm looking at from point of view of my preparation, both just mentally and with some of the documentation and support materials that we, we use in, in the shop. One of the things that, uh, that you know, this whole kind of thing is really, really brought to the fore for us. Not that we were completely ignorant of it before, it was just we could kind of get around it was uh, was the, the need for online, uh, much more basically an online and e-commerce platform for, for NFP. Um, so we, we laid the groundwork quite, quite a while ago to, to actually implement it. The, 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 the concern that we've had and the, and the difficulty that we have is defining the product range that actually goes into that shop. Also, not so much the product range itself, but the continuity of supply of those products when you're committing to an online presence like that we don't want to be one of those um how can i put it um people that aren't properly prepared and properly committed you know we we commit in our store we have product and we we source the product in a way that we can actually continue to supply that product the same specification the same color the same behavior the same you know all the things about that product need to be repeatable or, or, or can be relied on to happen you know you've got generations and you've got different things and you've got seasonality and all those kind of things and we we need to have products and, and, and systems in place that will always be the same and doing that in this country is a it's a challenge 
much, uh, specifically in our field, because the market that we, that we move in, in reality is very, 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 very small. It's tiny. So to have anything locally developed specifically for that market is very difficult. You just cannot justify, uh, for example, you know, tooling up to make a specific item in this country to produce a thing repetitively for, you know, for, for the market. The volume that you would make is so small compared to the tooling costs and the and the, and the run rates of the manufacturing processes. You basically switch the machine on and switch it off and it would have made more than we can sell in a year. So those kind of things become quite quite difficult to, to, to get your head around. Yes, you know, we can also just simplify the um, the range and, and kind of, you know, dumb it down so that it's uh, it's not a big deal. But then, you know, we're not doing anything to differentiate ourselves or to justify or to encourage people to actually then utilize our service because we're not doing anything different. To it. So that's where we've been kind of kind of struggling with that balance and you know it takes events like this um, that, we, that we're going through now to to kind of either either make or break those kind of things yeah so we've started to sort of work through processes and again you know the exchange rate and then the volatility of foreign markets transportation um you know be it air freight or sea freight and how much capital are you prepared to commit to product you know if you air freight something you can get it here and basically you can get it in three weeks but if you air freight the wrong stuff from the point of view of the size in in, in the volume because air freight is, is calculated volumetrically so they don't care how much stuff weighs they want to know how big it is and um Obviously, weight does become a factor. I mean, you can't import lead bars in an airplane. So the calculation of the cost of the transport or the air freight, as opposed to the value of the items and, and the cost of the items, becomes a very critical calculation. Uh, in the old days, when margins were much bigger than they are today, those kind of things could be kind of factored into that sort of loss leader sort of arrangement. But uh, in the, in the last couple of years, it has become very critical. So much so that um, quite often it's actually, you know, it's just not worth bringing stuff in because you you cannot sell it for enough money to make, you know, to, to not even to make money, just to break even. So it's uh, it's those things that are, are you know, we're not, um, we, uh, NFP is completely independent. Um, we're not affiliated to, to any other bodies anywhere in the world, and let alone in South Africa. So um, it's it's quite a trick to, as I said, to, to source materials. We have... We have some some amazing suppliers who support us as best they can. From the point of view of again, you know, our, our requirements are so small compared to other countries, and where in even you know the countries that they operate in, you know, our our demand and our requirement is so tiny that we really just we hardly even feature in their lives. But because of the the spirit and the and the community of, of home brewing, you know, we basically we live on that. Those guys are just so excited that uh, that. You know, we're doing what we're doing in, in a place like South Africa. That they that they very excitedly support us. But I mean, obviously, they they help us out. But they obviously, it's a business. It's a commercial venture. So of course, they you know they they're expecting to to, to make a profit. But you know, yes, they might be prepared to break box quantities, uh, ship us smaller amounts than they would require their you know their local um, distribution to 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 take. But we still pay you know the full price for those things and as i said then it's up to us how to structure those shipments so as i said the uh, air freight gives you you know will arrive here within three weeks but the trade-off is then is the cost of, of actually you know the, the, what you pay to get that stuff here but 
the other option is sea freight, but sea freight takes about eight weeks. But the cost of the of the transport cost is much, much lower, but the time is much longer. And then they also have a, a, a very interesting calculation where, you know, the volumetric thing becomes, uh, is done in a different way. So, you know, if you have very light stuff, but it's very bulky, you know, you, you kind of, you'll save on a kilo thing, but then you have a limitation on what you can put into the container, for example, yeah. or how big the the actual consignment is you know we could justify an entire container if we brought in just one of something and we could fill a container but then we wouldn't have any other products to sell yeah so we've got to bring a bunch of different things so there's no it, it, it's really really difficult for us to fill a container as i said it just also doesn't make sense from point of view of the type of products that we sell um, you know we're not a westpac for example where thousands of plastic storage boxes would be uh, and you can fill a container with those pretty quickly yeah uh, and you can get it here really cheap so, you know, our products, I mean, we look at sachets of yeast and thermometers and hydrometers uh, in little boxes. And, and I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's a myriad of stuff. And then they also quite often source from very different places. It becomes very tricky, you know. So we, we try to deal with the most logical source on, on different things. And, and we've had to kind of modify the way we the way we would normally buy. So we spend a lot of time. And, and you, I mean, I guess you, you, you might have an idea, but you, you will not believe the amount of time that it takes to set those sort of things up. Uh, and then, you know, when you're actually thinking about um, or bringing some stuff in, it takes a, a couple of days to actually do the calculations and then to, so you, you, you know, you've, you've got so many factors that you need to bring into it. I mean, it's the exchange rate, it's the actual, you know, who you're bringing the stuff in from, what you bring in from them, and how much of that stuff do you potentially need. And then you need to structure the combination that the the weight and the size and the bulk and the value and the cost and everything, you know, it, it, it's a massive calculation and it's very, very stressful and not the sort of thing that you, you relish doing if you don't, you know, if you don't have to. So yeah. it becomes quite tricky. And of course, in between all of that, you know, we, we're serving customers and we're trying to, to meet our customers' needs. Uh, and of course, also, you know, look to, to growing and, and, you know, and staying, staying relevant in, in the market. You've got to anticipate the product that you're bringing in is dated. So the moment you, you know, you commit to stuff and you bring it in, you've got to know that you're going to turn it over at a certain time because if you don't, you've got to throw it away because it, it, it expires um, so you've got to bear that in mind too so it's it's one thing to bring in eight months worth of stock but will the stock last eight months from the point of view of its, of its sell by date and mm. will you sell it before it, it expires so you know we've got to be realistic and that's where where it gets really really tricky so now we've always traded on the fact that we actually have a physical store uh, most of our competitors started out online some of them have a physical presence but it's uh, it's normally limited to certain hours uh, or certain days of the week but we've always had six days a week we've kind of traded on that strength and it's been something that uh, it's been very popular and very very well used by most of our customers yeah. um, you know that that we now know i mean we've always suspected that it's going to change and has started to change but I believe that this event, this COVID-19 business, has actually irreversibly kind of shifted that trend and, and probably catapulted it to the point now where people that were very comfortable and, and would actually rather come into the store will now actually think about it mm. um, before they come in. And if they don't really need to you know, have a chit-chat and, and physically see the stuff because they're not sure if it's what they're looking for or whatever, they would certainly be more likely to order something online or to even phone in and order it and have it, uh, have it delivered or phone and have it ready for collection. Yeah. Um, so that they'll be hanging around in the, in, in the store. Um, obviously, we'd also, you know, we 
we'd still like to be able to accommodate the people that uh, that like to have that face-to-face -face support and help and, and, and things like that. We'll obviously look at, uh, at ways of accommodating those as well. The, the store was initially established in the, the early to mid-50s, if I'm not mistaken. And so it's, no, I mean... 52. 52. So yeah. it, you've seen a, a hell of a lot of evolution in the way business is done. Like you say, you know, you were sending stuff to pharmacies via the post office. And, you know, this is just now another pivot in your business. So in terms of uh, online being digital, there are a lot of ways to bring that human element that NFP is famous for to the online realm. But, you know, but as I said, we, we, we'd also still like to, you know, both Dave and I are, 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 are a little old school uh, in certain respects, and yes, we embrace technology, and we're not we're not averse to you know to to utilizing it. But we'd also just out of I don't know um, I don't know if, if, if respect is the right word, but you know there, there is a, a long tradition of being accessible in in the flesh um, at NFP, where you know countless demonstrations have been have been done performed on that counter, where people have just popped in and seen our. Know, I really struggle to get the caps onto my bottles. You know, like, is there something wrong with my capper? You know, and then we discuss the you know, the technique that's adopted. And hang on, let me just like grab a cap off the shelf and get a bottle and get a cap. You know, and 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 those kind of things. We'd obviously, you know, we'd love to still be able to do those because, I mean, that's essentially what differentiates us. We believe, um, you know, we we care and we. We want you to be successful and we want you to enjoy what you're doing so that you keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. So that we can be relevant, you know, and, and, and we can still be relevant in, in your in your in your life. So yes, we we will pretty much, you know, look at any reasonable, sensible options that we can we can basically um, utilize to to try and keep that special element uh, you know in uh, in our business dealings with uh, with our customers. Obviously being locked down there's been a restriction on the alcohol sales and there was a lot of panic pre-lockdown with bottle stores running out of booze and all that kind of thing. And yeah. obviously you can't buy it now. What are your feelings on non-alcoholic beer? Yeah, it's it's fairly tricky to do it obviously as a home brewer to you know to brew a non-alcoholic beer and essentially I mean, a homebrew wouldn't bother to make a non-alcoholic yeah. beer. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's it's one of those conflicted things. The interesting thing with, with non-alcoholic beer, in other parts of the world, and I'm talking about Europe and, uh, and particularly the United States, they are becoming very, very big. And essentially, the, the, the reason that they became, that they were growing or that they grew was because of the social element. So if you went somewhere, you could now potentially just drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and you didn't get drunk. Mm. So you could then drive yourself home. Uh, and that, that that's great because, you know, human beings, we've got this this thing we, we need you know we need to be with people and we need to do things and so the whole socializing thing works really well with non-alcoholic beer and non-alcoholic beer sells at venues it's not bought and taken home people don't drink non-alcoholic beer at home yeah they drink beer with them because i'm home i don't need to panic and worry about unless you you know you're not drinking alcohol for other reasons and i have a, a whole different personal end and sort of professional outlook on that i mean some people just cannot or should not be drinking alcohol but if you just simplify it and and just look you know and, and generalize and again it's not to diminish the importance or the uh, the reality of those other circumstances that we've you know that i've alluded to non-alcoholic products and, and it's not just beer there's there's you know there's a few others there's wines and things now as well and there's cocktails they call them mocktails and they're pre-mixed so all of those things are designed to allow people to socialize 
uh, and to basically, as I said, just like, you know, with gay abandon, just consume and essentially not live to regret um, that process. So they can still be, you know, fairly compensamentous and they can drive home and they can, a lot of people feel safer when um, when there is non-alcoholic kind of beverages available. But now, so now this new arrangement of ours that we have now because of this COVID thing, so all the social gatherings where those kind of products would be consumed are now outlawed. They're not allowed to happen. So even here in this country, we never used to drink a lot of beer in our homes. We would prefer to drink that beer socially. So yes, we would have beer at home and we would have a few, but it would be a bride. We'd have people, but the rest of the week we wouldn't, maybe we'd have one or two. So even that's going to change now because now we can't go out and we can't do that. So we're going to be drinking a lot more at home and we have been drinking a lot. So much so that a lot of people are actually resorting to trying to make stuff. Um, and it's getting quite interesting if you follow <laughs> different media posts and things. Guys are posting pictures of either their effort or a recipe and like, what do you think? You know, I'm going to try this or has anybody got a recipe? And I mean, some of the stuff is really, really scary. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I think that the whole non-alcoholic and everything is going to change. How it's going to change exactly, I'm not sure. I mean, you know... I, as I said, I've already kind of verbalized some of my, what I'm potentially thinking might change and might happen. So whereas as South Africans are, and again, I'm generalizing, is that there's a lot of people that um, that can do this responsibly and there's a lot of people that, that won't. But I think the dynamic is going to change. Just in my own, you know, own little social media circles, I can already see, you know, there's, there's, they, they're changing the way that they, that they live and that the way that they, they, they drink alcohol and they do things. So, and I think that's going to, that's going to be very interesting to see how that all settles out. So you probably find that where, where people um, used to, you know, as I said, drink a, a lot of alcohol or alcohol was available at, at social functions and things like that. With that not happening, people are going to be drinking less. And then the style of um, of drinking at home will probably change for those kinds of people. So people that, that used to do quite a bit of social drinking will potentially drink less, but they will drink a little bit more at home than they used to drink before. And, and you know, hopefully people just, you know, won't just completely, you know, lose control. And, and But yeah, so it is going to be interesting how, how those things, how those things work. I think for the moment, those kind of really wonderful drinks will potentially be Become superfluous. They, they won't. They, the, the demand for them will drop away. Uh, as I said, you know, most of those things were drunk by people that were in in social environments, mm. so they could still partake or be seen to be partaking, but not necessarily getting drunk. Um, there's no need to do that. You know what I mean? I'm at home. I don't, I don't need to impress anybody. Mm. I haven't even got pants on. So, you know, <laughs> why am I start be drinking a non-alcoholic beverage? Uh, be it a wine or a beer or whatever, when I can have the real thing. Um, and I can just have one. I'm cool with that. You know, it's nice. I enjoy the flavor, the taste, or whatever. It's it's going to change. Um, so those products, I, mean, I don't want to you know, forecast that they're going to become completely uh, superfluous. I mean, they, you know, there are probably quite a few people that just enjoy drinking an alcoholic beer. Yeah. Uh, they don't have to have um, an alcohol, um, and, and they're quite happy to drink it. I personally, you know, why would you bother to drink it? Uh, if it's got an alcohol, then just drink water. <laughs> um, but that's me, you know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. Probably, probably 90% of the, of the, of the homebrewers would have the same attitude. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, we're, we're not all homebrewers. I, I guess, they, they, you know, there'll be a, 
a drop off, um, and it's the same with uh, with alcohol and potentially cigarettes um, after this thing. It, so it'll be interesting to see how that dynamic changes. One of the other things that I'm cautiously excited about is the the realization that you can actually make stuff at home has kind of come quite strongly forward through this period and I'm not just referring to alcohol but I'm referring to things like cheese and bread. I mean there has been a quiet awakening amongst people in recent years of sort of homemade and that negative connotation of homemade has kind of slowly started to wear away. You know whereas in the past if something was homemade people would down and you know it was probably pretty crap. But nowadays you know homemade can actually be better than what you can buy in the shops. Yeah. A lot of the products that you can get in shops now are, are purely for convenience. I mean, if you look at any kind of um, bought meals and that kind of thing, and I suppose there's a place for them, but I think that convenience has really killed our ability to to be able to fend for ourselves in a lot of ways. You know, yes. we, we can't make bread anymore and we can't make cheese and uh, we can't make yogurt and basic stuff that, you know, not that long ago people were doing on a, on a daily basis. So, yeah. But, but this period that we're going through and that we've gone through has actually forced people to realize that they can actually do something better themselves. Yeah. So people... Again, I'm generalizing, but people that used to take advantage of those like ready-made convenience meals, those dried up. You know, the fast food, I mean, you can't order that stuff, you can't buy that stuff, you can't get it now. So people have now had to revert, you know, and they've had to, like, and they've kind of realized, damn, if I use this and I do it, and, and I've looked up this recipe and I've tried it out and I've watched this video and, and it actually tastes bloody nice and it looks pretty, and it, it's actually quite cheap to make and I can make it on demand and I don't have to wait for the delivery and I don't have to do this and that's it. They suddenly realize, I mean, and like with bread as well, you know, all these things, you know, fresh bread is an issue. You know, you don't want to be going to the shop every day to go and get bread. So people have been, but I really, really, really would like a piece of bread. <laughs> so damn, there something, you know, there must be something we can do. Google. Okay, so this is how you do it. You know, sourdough, because now you can't buy yeast because everybody brought all the yeast up and it's all finished. People are having but the same thing with alcohol. You know, I'm, I'm fielding um, messages, phone calls, emails. If I have to say to you, it's like hundreds in a day, it's hundreds in a day. Where people are asking me, and I mean, some of these people I don't even know, they've actually been referred to me by a friend of a friend of a friend or a customer of a customer of a customer. I don't know how they've got to me, but they'll ask me, how do I make, how do I make something alcoholic at home? <laughs> and they, you know, they're wanting to make bread, they're wanting to make cheese and all of, you know, and yogurt and everything. So it's this whole thing. And so as I, when I started to talk about this, I'm cautiously optimistic that there's going to be a kind of a resurgence in, in wanting to know how to make stuff at home because people in this time, nobody likes to feel helpless. And, you know, the way you overcome that is by doing something. And yeah. that's what people have been doing. And I'm hoping that, that this whole, you know, this process has empowered them to, to believe in themselves and to give themselves that, that courage and that I can do this, you know. Yeah. If I just seek out right, the right advice and the right ingredients, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident that I can do this. I, I can see, I've seen people doing it and I, I, I know that I can do this. So I'm, I'm kind of expecting, and you know, what you were saying earlier about the webinars and, and you know, this kind of stuff, we're going to have to get smart if we want to, you know, utilize that or, or take advantage of that part of the process. Make these little video sessions, we'll actually just make a yogurt uh, or make a thing and, you know, and so people can actually see that it's, that it's it's really simple and easy to do, and that the person speaking doesn't have an American accent, and talk about ounces and pounds. Um, so I'm I'm fairly conf you know confident and comfortable, and you know uh, I've got the actual stuff in front of me. 
that he's using in the video. Uh, it's not some local derivative of whatever that American thing is that's in the video that hopefully work, work, work. you know those kind of things. So we we're gonna have to kind of spark a little bit to to take advantage of of this exciting period of uh, of potential growth. Uh, you know that's why I'm kind of hoping and seeing and, and and trying to as I said prepare myself. You know I have to um, to overcome a couple of. Uh, of, of my own little little demons and, and, and fears and but it, uh, it it's exciting you know I'm, I'm kind of like okay so this is a, it's a growth opportunity in terms of the resurgence I read recently that beer is obviously still very much an in-demand product but sales of craft beers um, have seen a steady drop off as the market has become flooded with all kinds of microbrewers and that kind of thing those stats were obviously US based so um, I don't know if we were kind of seeing a similar issue here inside South Africa because just suddenly I mean we've we had all these craft beer festivals every man and his dog was trying to set up a microbrewery yeah and the, in terms of the craft breweries that are still there how do you think that this is going to affect them yeah so it's it's, it's an interesting one so in in the US they those figures and that and that decline basically related to the economy and also a little bit to the trading environments um, and, and then there was you know there's also there's like these periodic sort of things that start happening so uh, the states are very fad-driven, I'm generalizing. And what happened uh, in states, and it's sort of obviously the tail end of it now, and obviously with this COVID thing, it would have obviously changed everything again. But there was a, a new product, uh, a new alcohol, a new beverage that uh, that popped onto the uh, onto the American market and kind of pulled everyone's attention for, for quite a long time, specifically in there, you know, the American summer. It's called hard salsa. So basically it's a it's a flavoured water, a sparkling water that has alcohol content. There's a there's a, a huge following for this stuff. Um, so beer kind of fell away from that sort of that mass market. But the the, the main core of guys were obviously still drinking their beer because they would be caught dead drinking that, you know flavored water crap um, <laughs> so you know but in general the the, the the mass consumer kind of guys the guys that were going by you know six pack of, of macro lager they, they were, were switching out the uh, the macro lager for this uh, uh, flavored salsa um, or hard salsa as they call it uh, and the, the interesting thing with the hard salsa was that it kind of broke the pink drink wall down a little bit. Um, you know, the, the craft brewers are, are okay. It's the guys in between that have got this weird misconception. And I'm sure you've probably got some pretty strong feelings on it yourself that alcohol has to be made differently for the different sexes, which, you know, absolutely has no, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> So the, 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 this hard salsa thing kind of took that pink thing out of the equation because now, you know, anybody was drinking this stuff and it didn't have the, the stigma attached to it that, it, you know, there's no preconceived sort of, you know, it's a beer, so it's got to be drunk by a guy and it's, you know, it's, a, it's got an umbrella and it's sticking out of it, so it's got to be drunk by a girl. It kind of took on its own life and it became quite an interesting thing. I don't think it would happen in this country to that degree because of the, the way that it, uh, it, it we, we just don't behave, that we don't have that kind of, that volume, that community is much smaller in this country and again with you know with the changes that we're looking at now in the way that we live or we're going to have to live um, it's going to change the dynamic again it obviously the current situation right now um, in the states although they don't have an alcohol ban they they can't drink socially yeah. so the tap rooms are closed so the craft beer guys or the craft breweries that are located in places where people can come and 
collect stuff from them or that the craft brewery can deliver stuff to them, they're kind of hanging in there. Um, but of course, because there's a lot less social drinking happening, the volume of, of alcohol that's been consumed has dropped dramatically. So I saw a recent research where uh, one of these snap polls, you know, the Americans are fascinated with statistics. They are forecasting that about 40% of the craft breweries in the US will not actually come out of COVID-19. Oh, wow. So things are pretty sketchy. And that's just the, the situation is pretty much, I don't know, probably double the disaster in this country because we have actually not been able to sell at all. The, the guys, I mean, they, there's going to be some serious attrition uh, in, our, in our market and it's going to change uh, the landscape quite dramatically. But I think the guys that have the ability to kind of just mothball their spots will then kind of, you know, be able to or be in a position at some point to sort of maybe potentially start up again. But there will be very different markets. So guys that can adapt quickly and again, our market is uh, our craft beer market is very different uh, than it is in the US because in this country you cannot get a license to have a, a brewery and a tap room in a in residential area. You have to be you have to be in a commercial area. The only province uh, that will allow a certain amount of flexibility is uh, is the Western Cape, particularly you know the big cities like Cape Town. Tourist industry, their liquor board is a little more flexible, whereas up here in Gauteng, uh, tourism means nothing to our provincial government. So there's no motivation there. They just that's it's viewed as a commercial thing. 100% and there's just no flexibility. So you, you've got to resort to a light industrial area and there are very few of those that are located in such a way that people would feel comfortable and secure and safe to actually go and frequent. We have a very different dynamic. So as a result, very few of our craft breweries have tap rooms because there's just no commercial justification to have one. And it costs money. It's an additional license. It's a whole another can of worms altogether and massive overhead. So so our craft breweries really, really struggle to get stuff to market because of that. So they rely almost 100% on, on distribution. And distribution costs you money. So you, you give away margin. If you're not running a tight ship, it makes things very, very difficult um, to to make decent money. So that's that's the, the hassle we have now. There are a few craft breweries that have managed to kind of like find a spot that is not terrible, and some of them have also had the foresight to apply for and successfully get a distribution license, so they can actually legally distribute their product. Which it's another weird vagary with our liquor laws in this country. You can be licensed to manufacture, but you. Don't, you don't have the right to distribute. So you actually have to pay someone to distribute, which is absolutely, yeah, I know, it's crazy. But anyway, so this is how it works. So, you know, getting that distribution license is quite an expensive process and there's also some hoops that you have to jump through. So a couple of the guys have kind of gone ahead and done it. But those guys are now perfectly positioned to kind of take advantage of the opportunity if they can, you know, if they can still be viable. So what it does is it allows them to deliver stuff directly to the end user. So that's how things are going to change because now people are not drinking socially anymore. So you're not going down the pub anymore. You're not having it at home. But again, as I said, there's only one of you there. And because you're not chatting and talking and, you know, with your mate, you tend to drink one or maybe two instead of six or seven, the, 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 the consumption and the, you know, the, the demand is going to be less, at least for the, you know, for the foreseeable future. Yeah. And that's where, where it's going to be critical. So the big, the big guys, you know, breweries and that type of thing, you know, they, they can absorb this. It's, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty straightforward. I mean, they're going to have some issues starting up again because they've literally had to shut down everything they've had to switch off everything they had to put their yeast on ice it's uh it's it's a mission it's going to take them a good 20 odd days to actually get everything switched back on again before they can actually start producing anything and then it's going to be another you know 
18 to 20 days before anything starts popping out of the system. So things are going to be going to be tricky for for everybody. But there's there's there are certainly you know if if you are fortunate um, to be in certain circumstances, there are some opportunities. I know of um, one particular craft brewery. It's actually it's Frontier Frontier Brewing Company that uh, that has a distribution license. Who I mean, he, he just had the idea before, and funny enough, just before COVID um, 19, to set up a direct to consumer network and he invited a whole bunch of other craft breweries to join him in the distribution on his distribution license what he was doing is he curates different beers from different uh, craft breweries he and then he curates these mixed boxes so as a customer you can go onto uh, onto his his to his online store and you can choose what bottles you want in a box oh cool uh, and you can you know with those, two of those, three of these, whatever. And he's got quite a lot of like really unique, one-off, low-volume whales, as he calls them, beers from, from, from some very, very interesting craft breweries uh, around the country. That's awesome. So that, that kind of thing is going to be, is going to be, but as I said, if those other little breweries can kind of hang in there, and yeah. you know, if you're going to be at home, you're going to want to have something quite interesting and quite unique uh, instead of just a you know a regular kind of beer. Because now I'm actually sitting here and I'm tasting it um, because I'm not being distracted by my mate. You get completely packed, and essentially, I mean, you, well, after a while, you just you're just drinking stuff. It doesn't mm. matter what it is. You know, that's the that's the purview of macro lager. I mean, that's where macro lager is at its finest. But as soon as you sort of tighten the circle and turn down the music and focus a little bit inward and kind of select who comes and sits at your table, then things start to change a little bit. Then we actually start talking about the beer we're drinking and have you ever had one of these? You know, taste that and see that taste. Are you getting that taste? You know, that in this beer is absolutely phenomenal. It's like 10 times as, you know, as, as more prominent. And, and you have these discussions and things change. Is going to be that's going to be the interesting dynamic and in how that comes into. So people are actually going to be kind of quite picky about what they're drinking. And if they're not making it themselves, they want to get it from someone that does a damn good job. It's pretty much in line with everything else that people are discovering. You know, like the, the, the bread. I mean, it sounds like such a nebulous thing, but I mean, I, I know you've baked the odd, you know, odd bread and things as well. It is such an interesting and such an amazing kind of experience to go through. And I think people, there's been a huge awakening. People have actually stood in their kitchens and they've looked and they've, and they've, they've done stuff in their kitchens that they've never done in their lives before. This, this period, you know, has changed things drastically. And people have discovered that they actually have the ability and they, they, they're not being unreal, un, you know, unrealistic in expecting to be actually be able to make something from scratch mm. as complicated or as simple as a, as a loaf of bread people are realizing that they can make stuff and that they want to make stuff and it tastes nice and it's interesting and it's exciting and it's something to do well i mean anything home brewed uh, or you know homemade there's so much intricacy in it and you you get such interesting dynamics of flavors i mean in something just like a bread yeah. the different yeasts that you use or the different technique the bread the consistency and the um the flavor of it is just so much different from you know your kind of stock standard loaf of albany bread so yeah. you know so uh, this is a great way to segue into my next question being a, a girl who brews that's not something that's that's commonly seen most people yeah. associate you know beer brewing with uh, like a guy thing like you were saying earlier you know people associate certain drinks with 
one sex or the yes. other. And beer is generally associated with males. But uh, yo, um, a lot of people are, are quite uh, kind of shocked when they find out that I brew. Um, and then they ask all kinds of questions about what does it entail, um, you know, where, do, where can they start and that kind of thing. There, there seems to be a lot of, not misunderstanding, but a lack of knowledge um, when it comes to yes. beer brewing. So I don't know if you want to maybe just go into just a, a quick rundown of kind of the minimum that's required to brew your first bre- batch, uh, the basics of the, the science behind beer brewing. It's always a trick or tricky to, you know, where, where to start and how detailed to go. But essentially, you know, the, the equipment required is, is, is really, really simple. I mean, the, the, the main, the most important thing is your fermenting vessel. So, you know, essentially it needs to be something that is food safe, reasonably uh, durable from the point of view of, uh, of you know, that, that it, uh, it's not super sensitive to um, to temperature and light and things like that. So uh, a food safe or food grade plastic is uh, is more than sufficient. If you, you know, if you want to go a little a little ahead of that, you can go with something stainless steel, but it needs to be fairly solid and that uh, that it can seal quite efficiently. And then uh, the, the other thing is, uh, is not to get uh, too head up on temperatures and things like that. It's a, it's you know, it's, it's quite a room temperature is a is a relatively easy thing to maintain and uh, and, and to keep the the ferment at that temperature. The other kind of what a lot of people don't sort of see uh, as simply as as it as it actually needs to be is the you need a, a, a small pot, maybe a six six to eight liter um, pot, which is normally you know, like a, a biggish stock pot or a, a pasta pot you can use on the stove um, to prepare your, your wort for the uh, for the fermenter. And then other than that, you know, you, you just need to know that you've got a um, fairly reputable range of ingredients um, and they, they can take a number of different forms, but essentially you need some sort of malted barley extract. You know, beer wouldn't taste like beer if it didn't have malted barley in it. That extract can either be, um, can either be pre, pre-hopped uh, or that you would need to 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 add the hops to it. If if you need to add hops to it, you need to have the hops and also some kind of a container like a sock or a, a bag um, to contain the hops in. Uh, and then uh, and then a good yeast. Obviously, there's there's quite a few yeasts that are specific to particular types of beer. But in general, you know, a, a good ale yeast would be would be sufficient. And then obviously to to be aware of the yeast's expiry date is also a good idea. It's not a huge a huge investment in, in equipment. You know, you're looking at uh, just over a thousand rand for everything that you would you would need to use, and probably about three hundred rand of that thousand rand is is consumables that you would replace. But the rest of that investment is stuff that you would continue to use for as long as the, you know as long as you're brewing. In terms of the styles of beer that you would recommend, you know, you've got your your classic styles of beer that have specific qualities that make it that specific type of beer. So, you know, your Irish red ales have got a color ratio of X and a, a malt to hop ratio of Y. When when you're just starting out, should you actually follow a classical style? Or, you know, I would imagine you'd start out with a kit that produces some sort of um, classical style. But when you start doing things like partial mashes and uh, creating your own recipes, do you need to follow a classic recipe? Or is it kind of a, you know, if you think these ingredients will go well together, you can just chuck them in and see what happens? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Yes, so we 
when you when you start out, obviously you you bring kits which are kind of like pre-formatted. You basically the process of brewing them, you essentially just um, facilitating fermentation process and then the, and then the bottling process. But it's an important uh, kind of starting point from point of view of there are so many new skills that you need to learn that it's better to do them in stages. Otherwise, it just becomes completely overwhelming. A starter kit or a, an extract kit that allows you freedom to concentrate on the new skills that you need to learn from point of view. For example, the, you know, the, the just preparing the wort, watching temperatures and times, and, and the fermentation process. Um, obviously, that's a hands-off thing, but it does kind of occupy your mind and your and your thoughts for, for you know the first time, obviously, or a couple of first times. <laughs> um, and then the bottling process is, a, is, is quite, an, quite an intense thing. So once you've got, got those under your belt and you've kind of, you're doing those relatively easily, you then start to add additional processes and functions. So the first couple of brews you would do, you would, would basically, as I said, be kind of facilitating a pre-formatted thing. Uh, and then, you know, with the partial mash, you're still using the extract as the base, uh, which is like 90% of the beer. Uh, and then you're preparing a an extract concentrate uh, or a, a steeped concentrate, which you would then add to the extract, which then gives the beer the specific characteristics that it is that, you, that you're wanting to... Uh, to give it, um, and then you're fermenting it. All through those processes, you can use pretty much generic things, um, which will produce a very, very drinkable beer, but it, it won't necessarily have any specific characteristics um, that make it or differentiate it from from other beers. But then, as you, as I said, as you start to sort of understand the process, you can then start to manipulate certain elements of it, and then give, um, you know, give the beer specific characteristics. Um, uh, one of my favourite things is I have a a base recipe which is just a, a grain bowl and if you prepare that that wort with that uh, that base recipe uh, and then you ferment it with you know with four or five different yeasts uh, in in you know different batches you've essentially got four or five different beers just with that one element being different so there's there's a there's a lot of uh, a lot of opportunity to to create you know very specific beers i find style brewing to style is a is a sometimes can be a bit of a contentious thing um, you know there's there's a bunch of people that would say, you know, why do I need to conform to a style? I think the important thing to remember about styles is that basically it's a gauge, it's an expectation. Um, and that's where I have, you know, an awareness of styles based on, on, on taste. So I always ask a customer to, you know, to tell me what he enjoys drinking. And then I will then obviously refer to the style of that beer and try and overlay that onto the recipe that I have, think that he would, you know, like to make or would be. Um, so style has its place. Obviously, um, in, a, in a, a competition environment, it's very important. It's what makes the competition relevant if it's a style-based competition because then it takes the subjectivity out of the thing and it becomes an objective thing. So so the beer is judged according to a style. So there is a published expectation of what it should taste like. And if the brewer has made it, he, you know, he, he, he's intended for that beer to have that style or that style's characteristics, um, then that's what the judges should expect to taste. So in the same style becomes quite a it is a it's a very important thing but it's completely misunderstood by probably i don't know 60 70 percent of uh, of beer drinkers but also as a beginner brewer i don't get too head up on, on on kind of getting into too much into style with beginner brewers my focus is on getting them getting that process into the that it becomes a, a simple thing and, a, and not stressful i try to um you know, to focus on, on recipes that are relatively simple but produce wonderful beers, uh, and then slowly, as as you know, as I'm feeling that the customer has the confidence and the and the skills to sort of start 
stretching, then, then I will then start to sort of understand what, what they like in a beer uh, and try and match that little style and then help them to build mm. uh, a beer that balances uh, those things um, in, and, and create something new. And that's, that's where, for me, I, I really enjoy that. And it's exciting. And it, it keeps, uh, as I said, it keeps me relevant. Uh, if I can make or help a customer make a beer, formulate a beer that they that they brew that is totally unique to them, that they actually 100% enjoy, but they cannot buy that. I mean, that is that is the ultimate. That's that, that beer is priceless. You cannot actually buy it. And if I can do that, if I'm successful in that, I, I kind of feel like I've achieved something, um, you know, for, for that customer. And then, you know, it uh, it becomes a very different relationship uh, in, you know, with that uh, that particular customer and, and their relationship with their beer. As I said, and I keep saying it, but it's, it's just... If once you understand that, that's where you find the value in making anything yourself. That, that's the magic. It's it's truly unique to that person. It's one of a kind. Uh, it's bespoke in the truest sense of the word, I and mean, it's customized, completely built for that individual. And the beauty of it is that that individual builds it for himself. They're not making something for someone else. They're making it for themselves. Um, yeah, that, that's that really really cool for me. Yeah. <laughs> I've got five quick questions. First question is define success. It's a it's a tricky one. Um, I think for me, I've, a number of things have happened in my in my life that have kind of forced me to redraw my perspective uh, a few times. Um, you know, we all we all have things that uh, that change our lives. Um, things happen to us and things like that. But I think for me, right now, success in in, in my book is if if I can if I can do something that I'm enjoying that I enjoy doing, and I'm helping people in that process and that. Other people are kind of enjoying what I'm doing as well. Then I'm then I'm being successful, and or that I am successful. Uh, and I, I kind of feel like that at the moment. And not at this very stage, but <laughs> in general, at the moment, I, I'm I'm very very lucky that I you know that I came across uh, Dave um, when I did, and he gave me the opportunity that he's given me, and that I have managed to to kind of do justice to it. I really 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 enjoy what I'm doing. It's uh, it's wonderful. I. I I really, I love it. Um, you know, just seeing the expression on people's faces when they come back, or hearing that they send an email or a phone call or something. I brewed that beer, and it is absolutely fantastic. I, whatever. I mean, there's all sorts of things. I mean, there's you know, I've got cheese making customers and wine making customers and bread making customers and food fermenting customers. I've got everything. I've got I've got dads who ferment food because their daughter's is a, a, is it a type three diabetic. Um, so he ferments all her food to reduce the carbohydrate or the sugar count. I've got guys that I've got a guy that brews one beer, one specific recipe for a beer that he drank for about five years while he uh, he lived in New Zealand. That's made by a little brewery. It's in a little village close to where he lived and worked. It's not available outside of 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 that area it's not available elsewhere in New Zealand even it's just it's available at that brewery and that's all he breaks those kind of customers and that kind of thing that's that's my success I mean I, you know I'd love to be able to tell you that I have money in the bank and also <laughs> for, for me being successful right now and at this point in my life is being relevant to my customers and is there a specific routine that you use during the course of the day that you believe contributes to your success I'm, I'm quite a, I said earlier, a little bit old school, so I do have respond well to routine. Um, if, if I'm not in routine, I kind of get a little bit, uh, come a little bit unglued. I 
up until about uh, nine o'clock when the shop opens, you know, I've got control. <laughs> um, but once the, once the shop opens and the phones start and uh, customers start coming into the shop and emails and things like that, then, then routines pretty much go out the window. So I try to, I'm in the shop early uh, and then in, in the time that I'm in the shop before it opens, I, uh, I have specific things that I do in the store. You know, I have to um, obviously check the shelves, I have to pack the shelves and make sure that there's, you know, there's, there's stock on the shelves and plan for the um, stuff that needs to be packed or to be prepared um, to replace stuff that, uh, that isn't on the shelves anymore. Um, just draw up lists of stock that might need to be replaced or replenished, uh, those kind of things. And also um, a little bit of maintenance. Uh, normally about once a week or so, I um, clean the mill and check the mill and, uh, and set the mill gap um, on the uh, on the milk mill. And then there's a, a couple of other uh, measurement uh, tools that we use. Um, that I need to calibrate um, so that yeah so I think um, you know they obviously you know you need to have a certain amount of discipline from the point of view of when you do something that you do it in a particular way but yeah I, I don't have a, a specific kind of routine or anything that I would say you know is is, is the key to, to to you know to any kind of uh, success or, or well-being or anything like that obviously you know there's a few simple things that uh, that one needs to uh, adhere to you know in, in you know just in, in in all our daily dealings you know just acknowledging people and, and being polite and and listening mm. uh, that's something that i uh, from my past life um, uh, i wasn't a very good listener you know, i've had to talk, teach myself uh, to listen better and, and more more intently what do you do when you're not working I'd imagine that <clears throat> brewing and, and testing out recipes kind of or uh, yeah. <laughs> makes up a lot of your so, time. Yeah, it, it does, and I, I, I try not to um, to bring too much of that home because you know it can be a little uh, a little invasive. I enjoy cooking. It sounds weird, but you know after a day of doing what I do, I, I still enjoy coming home and, and, and making a, a, ni- a nice meal for, for my family. I, I read a lot. I try try to do a lot of research, but informal research. So basically, you know, just Kind of like keeping keeping up with or being aware of, of what's happening elsewhere in the world, particularly in the in the, in the craft brewing industry. I have a, a strong fascination with fermented food. Um, it's something that I'm I'm very passionate about, and I believe that there's there's a, a lot of opportunity, a lot of good as consumers that we are not enjoying, uh, that we could be enjoying from fermented foods if we if we accommodated them more in our diets. And it's something that I'm Again, you know, with with the new opportunity that we are being presented with um, through this COVID nineteen thing, and, and you know, the new, basically, the new way that we're going to have to live our lives. I, I'm I'm still trying to formulate or to try and understand exactly where where the opportunities lie um, with fermented food. But I, I think there's a massive, massive, massive opportunity. Um, but I, I really enjoy um, hearing and, and thinking about fermented food. I actually have a web. It's a Facebook page that you might want to go and have a look at. It's called Fermentista. I created the Facebook page kind of like almost a little bit out of desperation i just had this need as i said to you this need to communicate with people and um, i don't always get the opportunity um you know you obviously don't want to force things onto people in the store so i started to do with fermentista with that page i i i started to create fermented versions of um of regular condiments um if you if you would like you can go and have a look it's Definitely. Cool. I'll go and check okay. it out on Facebook. No problem. What do you rely on for continued learning? I, I use the internet. There are a few um, sites that I um, that I kind of hang around on. There's uh, the American Homebrewers Association has a has a fantastic site for for um, beer brewing. I've also sort of started to to venture into some of the other areas of fermentation. I monitor other kinds of uh, of, 
of things, a lot of food-related things as well. I follow a few a few authors. Um, a guy by the name of Sandor Elix Katz is um, apparently uh, he's basically responsible for the rebirth of fermented foods in the U.S. And then there's also a couple called the, the Shockies. Um, it's a husband and wife team. They also are fermented blood cases. They um, they ferment all sorts of things. I've also written a couple of books. And then uh, there's a, a very young association in the U.S. called the Fermentation Association or Association of Fermentation that I, I, I kind of like uh, keep track with. And a couple of the guys on their founding board are quite interesting characters in the in the sort of food industry, uh, but specifically um, in fermentation. But I, I, I kind of rely on, uh, on on Facebook essentially to to kind of like show me that stuff and then I, I kind of like go off and I'll search in Google um, so I do, I do a bit of a, a weeding thing I grab grab bits and pieces and then I'll, I'll, I'll go so but basically probably 90% of, of, of what I do is, uh, is internet based okay if you could impart one piece of advice to to better someone's life what would it be hey, it's um, it's probably not a not an easy thing to do but it's also not a hard thing to do but to basically find something that you enjoy I, I also received that information or that advice um, some years ago and it took me a little while to actually be in a position to to actually do and even then I wasn't actually in the position I, I, I just it was one of those serendipitous things that you know happened to be in the right place at the right time but yeah find something that you enjoy something that you identify with and, 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 and chase after that and grab onto it with both hands and just and, and don't assume that it's going to stay in your hands um, you actually have to give it justification to stay in your hands again it just refers back to you know like my current success is, is being you know doing something that I really really enjoy I, I, I love I love what I do and I love sharing that information and I love seeing people enjoy it and uh, benefit from it um, I, mean, I think that's that's pretty much what I would, what I would advise people to do. And as I said, it's, it might not obviously, you know, always be a conscious decision. But I think if you're open to it, and if you if you are, you know, kind of like working in that direction, um, then you're bound to find something, and something's bound to find you. But it's, I mean, there's nothing worse than you know, than going to work every day, you know, to a job you hate, to people you hate, to an environment you hate, to an industry that you cannot identify with. I, mean, I, I did that for too long, and it, it, it makes me sad to think that people are, are doing that every day. You know, as I said in the beginning, you don't need to be a multi-millionaire, you don't need to be whatever. Just find something that, that just, that, that makes you tick, you know, that you, something that gels with you, that you kind of, like, I wouldn't say you don't have to work at, because, you know, it's it, that, that, that would be wrong, but it's something that you don't have to force, something that you don't have to fight against, something that you actually feel quite comfortable with, something that you could actually sit down with and have next to you, or, you know, be with all the time. Um, that you don't like, oh, God, I'm so glad I could just leave that now. If you start to kind of like explore that in your own mind, that I, mean, I, I see it even with you, you know, when you when you needed to make your, the change in your day, you know, how your life changed and the direction that you took and everything, you, you, you kind of gravitate towards stuff that you that you identify with and that you feel comfortable with and that you enjoy. And then from that, you kind of start to, you know, to find other opportunities and other directions and, and ways of enhancing or improving the things that you add to what it is that you enjoy doing. So I've always felt comfortable and I've always been very pleased for, for what I've seen and how I've seen your, you know, your life change recently. But obviously, the initial thing that, uh, you know, I was, I was obviously very scared for you. Uh, it's a it's a new thing. It's a big thing, and it's scary. Yeah, um, and I've been through that more than once in in my life. So I, I knew exactly what uh, you know what you were feeling and what you were doing. But as I saw you kind of like moving in, you know, different things and, and 
the thing that you chose to do and how it's evolved and 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 you know I can also see how yes it's it's stressful but it's not the same kind of stressful it's not um it's not that broken one way kind of stress it's a it's almost like a good stress it keeps us yeah. keeps us sharp keeps going keeps us you know kind of like on our on our best or yeah. at our best one thing i've noticed since um i started my own business is that i've gone from feeling kind of helpless in a situation of being employed you know um you you don't have any kind of control over a lot of the decisions that are made or the the business that's coming in and when you kind of move to your own business where you're in control you see opportunity almost everywhere and um not everything pans out like i've had some disasters but um you know you're seeing you're seeing opportunity in places that you weren't able to see when you were employed in in corporate or wherever you were before Um, and it really just kind of gives you that motivation and enthusiasm to kind of follow through a little bit more than when you're working for you know earning money for someone else exactly yeah and uh yeah uh, like you say it's different stress i mean financially it is a lot more stressful because you don't have that guaranteed salary at the end of the month but um you know the payoff in terms of your own kind of happiness is um is is worth it in my opinion. Well, at this stage, you know, uh, ask me when I haven't made any money <laughs> for the next six months. I might be singing a different yeah, tune. <laughs> also, you know, there's, there's never a perfect time. I mean, you know, so, you know, this this whole COVID-19 thing is, is it's going to change things and it has changed things so much. But by the same token, you know, it's 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 also potentially presenting us with massive opportunities if we just, you know, open ourselves, like you're saying, you know, just, kind of lose the you know lose the myopia and 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 the the resignation kind of thing that you have when you you know when you in a, in a corporate job yeah um and allow, allow that you know that 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 sort of ancient vigilant hunter gatherer out of your uh, you know your, your inner psyche and, and and get in touch with that again I think too many people have lost touch with that part of themselves. You know, it's just become a daily grind. Um, you, you don't know why you do the things that you do anymore. Um, uh, I think that a, uh, that's a big problem with today's society is that a lot of people don't know why they do the things they do. No, and, and yeah, there's, 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 there's absolutely nothing in it. You know, there's no emotion, there's no, there's no value out of it. It's, it's just, it's horrid. And, and as I said, I, get, I, get quite, I can get quite, um, quite emotional and quite upset, you know, when I see people that live like I used to live. I, I, you know, I have to remind myself that, you know, I can't get angry with them because, you know, they, they, I was like that. I, you know, they don't, they don't know any better. They haven't had that. Something needs to happen in your life um, to make you change. Um, and I think this COVID-19 thing is doing that for a lot of people. Yeah. And obviously, it's a huge victim. Oh. Where can people find you online? So right now, we've got, we've got, uh, National Food Products, The Hungry Shop on Facebook. There's also, I mentioned it, Fermentista, which is my personal thing, but it's it's kind of, it's not partisan, but it is allied, obviously, because I'm NFP as well. Yeah. Um, so there's a bit of a cross, cross-linking cross thing there sometimes. And then, I mean, we have a Facebook, I mean, a website, but it's 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 an old-fashioned, it's not daily updated, it's, it doesn't have a blog, It's not, it doesn't, there's no e-commerce, it's, it's a, it's a pile of crap but we we have this other thing as i said and we just as i said that long explanation that i gave you know, <laughs> that's kind of holding up with with that particular yeah. part of it 
Um, but that is definitely going to change. Um, I just stick with the email and the, and, the, and, the, and the Facebook page for a minute. Well, well, thank you, George. This has been a lot of fun. I've enjoyed chatting. Thank you. For, and yeah, um, sorry about <laughs> I, I really appreciate you taking the time and being willing to be on my show and hopefully the lockdown kind of ends soon and retail can go back to normal as quickly as possible just hold thumbs cool thanks George have a have a good rest you of your day you too thank you Alrighty. cheers bye bye Follow the Business of Podcast on my website, megamillist.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to the YouTube channel at Megamillist. Connect with me on LinkedIn, Megan Darcy, M-E-G-A-N-D apostrophe A-R-C-Y. Chat soon.